Hi, welcome back to North Star Big Book. This is Carly, Recovered Alcoholic. We are in episode 41 on the bottom of 145 in Two Employers, part two. On the bottom it says, one instance comes to mind in which a malicious individual was always making friendly little jokes about an alcoholic's drinking exploits. In this way, he was, I underlined, slyly carrying tales. And that's a reminder that, I, again, I cannot gossip about other people. In another case, an alcoholic was sent to a hospital for treatment. Only a few knew of it at first, but within a short time, I underlined, it was billboarded throughout the entire company. I need to be responsible, not only to not talk about people, but if I hear someone else talking about people, I need to be the voice that stands up for that person that's not there. Naturally, this sort of thing, I underlined, decreased the man's chance of recovery, which actually isn't true. The only thing that decreases my chance of recovery is not doing the steps, but they're saying that they're going to get resentful or hurt. The employer can many times protect the victim from this kind of talk. The employer cannot play favorites, but, I underlined, he can always defend a man from needless provocation and unfair criticism. And I wrote next to that, my job today. As a class, alcoholics are energetic people. They work hard, they play hard. Your man should be on his mettle to make good. Being somewhat weakened and faced with physical and mental readjustment to a life which knows no alcohol, he may overdo. You may have to curb his desire to work 16 hours a day. You may need to encourage him to play once in a while. He may wish to do a lot for the other alcoholics, and something of this sort may come up during business hours. A reasonable amount of latitude will be helpful. And I underlined, this work is necessary to maintain his sobriety. And that's my reminder that the work is always necessary for me to maintain my sobriety. After your man has gone through without drinking, and I circled for a few months, and I wrote above that, work the steps. So this is someone who's worked the steps and then a few months later they are now someone that the they're telling us can be useful i underline you may be able to make use of his services so within a few months the steps can change someone and they can now become a useful member with other employees who are giving you the alcoholic runaround provided of course they are willing to have a third party in the picture an alcoholic i underlined who has recovered and i circled the word recovered and i wrote 12 steps that's how i become recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, but holds a relatively unimportant job, can talk to a man with a better position. I underline the last sentence, being on a radically different basis of life, he will never take advantage of the situation. And I wrote next to that, changed man. So we become changed. We no longer are someone that can't be trusted or that will be manipulative. I underlined, your man may be trusted, which is huge. Long experience with alcoholic excuses naturally rouses suspicion. When his wife next calls saying he is sick, you might jump to the conclusion he is drunk. If he is and is still trying to recover, he will tell you about it, even if it means the loss of his job. That's because we live a program of rigorous honesty. I underline the next sentence. For he knows he must be honest if he would live at all. And that's one of the truths and facts that I've found in the program. He will appreciate knowing you are not bothering your head about him, that you are not suspicious nor are you trying to run his life so life so he will be shielded from temptation to drink. I wrote on the top, we abandon our old ways. We abandon our old ways. I underline the next sentence. If he is conscientiously following the program of recovery, he can go anywhere your business may call him. And I wrote next to that because he no longer has mental obsession. Because he no longer has mental obsession. So they're, t- they're saying if they're conscientiously following the program of recovery, which is the 12 steps, then you can send them anywhere because they're trustworthy. 
In case he does stumble even once, you will have to decide whether to let him go. I underlined, if you are sure he doesn't mean business, there is no doubt you should discharge him. So that's also a tool for sponsorship. I underlined the next sentence. If on the contrary, you are sure he is doing his utmost, you may wish to give him another chance. So it's not black and white. But you should feel under no obligation to keep him on, for your obligation has been well discharged already. There is another thing you might wish to do. If your organization is a large one, your junior executives might be provided with, I underlined, this book, because this book has a solution. You might let them know you have no you might let them know you have no quarrel with the alcoholics of your organization. These juniors are often in a difficult position. Men under them are frequently they're frequently their friends. So for one reason or another, they cover these men, hoping matters will take a turn for the better. And I bracketed the, the bottom part of the paragraph and I wrote on the side, what to do with us. They often jeopardize their own positions by trying to, I underlined, help serious drinkers who should have been fired long ago or else given an opportunity to get well. And that's why I've written down what to do with us. So it's one of those two choices. Either let us go so we can feel the um, consequences and make different decisions or give us the opportunity to be sober. But don't just let us do nothing and not say anything. After reading this book, a junior executive can go to such a man and say approximately this. Look here, Ed. I underline, do you want to stop drinking or not? Because that's the most important question. If they don't want to stop, then there's nothing you can do. You put me on the spot every time you get drunk. It isn't fair to me or the firm. I have been learning something about alcoholism. I underline, if you're an alcoholic, you are a mighty sick man. You act like one. So I underline that. The firm wants to help you get over it. I underlined, and if you are interested, there is a way out. And that's basically all there is to say to anyone that comes to you, is do you want to stop? If you're interested, there's a way out, and I can show you. If you take it, your past will be forgotten, and the fact that you were went away for treatment will not be mentioned. But if you cannot or will not stop drinking, I think you ought to resign. Your junior executive may not agree with the contents of our book, he need not and often should not show it to his alcoholic prospect, but at least he will understand the problem and will no longer be misled by ordinary promises. He'll be able to make take a position with such a man which is eminently fair and square. He'll have no further reason for covering up an alcoholic employee. It boils right down to this, and this is one of my favorite parts because it really helps me with sponsoring. No man should be fired just because he is alcoholic. I underlined, if he wants to stop, he should be afforded a real chance. If he, I kept underlining, if he cannot or does not want to stop, he should be discharged. So it's really simple with, if someone's doing the work, then you keep them on and you work with them. If they're not doing the work, then it's not doing them a favor by not saying anything and letting them believe that they are doing the work. The exceptions are few. This is the first 100 men and women. We think this method of approach will accomplish several things. It will permit the rehabilitation of good men. At the same time, you will feel no reluctance to rid yourself of those who cannot or will not stop. Alcoholism may be causing your organization considerable damage in its waste of time, men, and reputation. We hope our suggestions will help you plug up this sometimes serious leak. Um... It says, the other day an approach was made to the vice president of a large industrial concern. He remarked, I'm mighty glad you fellows got over your drinking, but the policy of this company is not to interfere with the habits of our employees. If a man drinks so much that his job suffers, we fire him. I don't see how you can be of any help to us for it. As you see, we don't have an alcoholic problem. The same company spends millions for research every year. This was written in the 1930s, so you can imagine. 
Their cost of production is figured to a fine decimal point. They have recreational facilities. There is company insurance. There is a real interest, both humanitarian and business, in the well-being of employees. But alcoholism, well, they just don't believe they have it. Perhaps this is a typical attitude. We who have collectively seen a great deal of business life, at, from the, at least from the alcoholic angle, had to smile at this gentleman's sincere opinion. He might be shocked if he knew how much alcoholism is costing his organization a year. That company may harbor many actual or potential alcoholics. We believe that managers of large enterprises often have little idea how prevalent this problem is. Even if you feel your organization has no alcoholic problem, it might pay to take another look down the line. You may make some interesting discoveries. Of course, this chapter refers to alcoholics, sick people, deranged men. What our friend, the vice president, had in mind was the habitual or whoopee drinker. As to them, his policies undoubtedly sound, but I underlined, he did not distinguish between such people. And I wrote next to that, we can distinguish. We can distinguish. And then I wrote in parentheses, physical and mental. So because of the physical allergies and mental obsession and those questions from page 44, we are capable of distinguishing who's an alcoholic and who's not. It is not to be expected that we that an alcoholic employee will receive a disproportionate amount of time and attention. He should not be made he should not be made a favorite. The right kind of man, I underline the rest of the paragraph, the kind who recovers will not want this sort of thing. He will not impose. Far from it. He will work like the devil and thank you to his dying day. It says today, and that's a reminder of how I need to be at work. I need to work really hard and be grateful. Today I own a little company. There are two alcoholic employees who produce as much as five normal salesmen, but why not? I underlined, they have a new attitude and they have been saved from a living death. I, I underlined in red, living death, and I wrote spiritual awakening on the side. So that's how that happened. I have enjoyed every moment spent in getting them straightened out. And then they're talking about Appendix 6. We shall be happy to hear from you if we can be of help. Um, we're going to go on a vision for you. I can't believe we are on a vision for you. Chapter 11, the last chapter of the big book. Um, <clears throat> I love a vision for you. There's an overview in it of the 12 steps. It also kind of comes full circle and reminds me and the reader about the grave nature of alcoholism. And then it takes us to the end, which is the fourth dimension. And it's all in there. Um, I wrote on the top of the page of a vision for you's page, my vision is to carry the 12th step. And that is what the first 100 men and women, that's why they wrote this book. Not only did they write it to help people get sober, but they also are constantly talking to the sponsor and telling us how to help the next person. And the vision they had is that we were going to pass this on and carry this message. It says, Chapter 11, A Vision for You. And I, I underlined and bracketed the next um, three sentences. For most, al- for most normal folks, and above most normal, I wrote non-alcoholic. Non-alcoholic, and then I wrote no physical craving or mental obsession. So for most normal folks, someone without the physical craving, without the mental obsession, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. It means release from care, boredom, and worry. It is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good. I felt that in my beginning. I really did. Um, I had all of that. Alcohol gave all of that to me. And I kept drinking and drinking because I couldn't control the amount I put in my body and I wanted more. And I passed a line where that no longer was the case anymore. And then it says, but not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. And that's when I get to pause 
can close my eyes and remember my last days, my last months, my last year and think about what was it like and did I have companionship and release and joyous intimacy or was it just me doing everything I could to not feel anything? The old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. I underline the word never. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. There was an insistent, I underline the word yearning, and above that I wrote mental obsession. So the mental obsession was insistent. And when it was insistent, it, it, it told me I needed to enjoy life as I once did. I underline as we once did. And I wrote on the side, to control alcohol would take a miracle. To control alcohol would take a miracle. But we kept trying. Because we kept believing the lie. There was an, um, it says, in a heartbreaking obsession that some, I underline, new miracle of control, and above that I wrote mental obsession, would enable us to do it. So the thought in our mind that we could figure out a way was what got us sicker. There was always one more attempt, and above one more attempt, I wrote mental obsession, and I underlined in red, one more failure. I wrote next to that, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. The next paragraph, I underlined the next two sentences, and they kind of give me chills. The less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society, from life itself. As we became subjects, I have subjects underlined in red, of King Alcohol, you see it's capitalized like a god, shivering denizens of his mad realm, the chilling vapor that is loneliness settled down. I wrote on on the side, my end, that was my end, and I have written down full blockage of plumber's pipe because one of my sponsors talks about the plumber's pipe as being fully blocked and no fresh water can flow. It says, some of us, um, I underlined, it thickened ever becoming blacker. Some of us sought out sordid places, I underlined, hoping to find understanding, companionship, and approval. And that was what we were constantly looking for. We were looking for what they described in the beginning of this chapter, which is what we had when we first started drinking. Some of us. Momentarily we did, then would come oblivion and the awful awakening to face the, I underline in red, the hideous four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. And above the awful awakening, I wrote, alcohol wears off. And that's why we wake up to those four horsemen. If there was a way that I could only be drunk or high and I never felt any of those four horsemen, I never was conscious and I never knew what I did to my family, then I think I would have been able to stay drunk. But the periods in between the drunk and the next one were so, they were insurmountable. I underline, unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. So we're talking about someone who is in AA but hasn't worked the 12 steps. Now and then a serious drinker being dry at the moment says, I don't miss it at all. Feel better, work, work better, having a better time. I wrote on the bottom, Bill Wilson did this when the goose hung high. Remember when he, he wanted to not drink anymore and then the goose hung high and then he ended up on a, another bender. Working better, having a better time. As ex-problem drinkers, we smile at such a sally. We're on the top of 152. We knew our friend is like a boy whistling in the dark to keep up his spirits. Um, this last part of the paragraph, I underlined the whole thing and it gives me, it makes me very uncomfortable. And this is where I was when on January 26, 1999, I was six days sober and I couldn't live the lie anymore. And, and, but I, I did everything I could to make it look like it. He fools himself. 
Inwardly, he would give anything to take half a dozen drinks and get away with them. I can tell you this out of my own evidence. When you're on the other side of the steps and you are working 10, 11, and 12, you actually don't want to get drunk. You wouldn't even do it if, if no one caught you. Like, you don't want to because you know the truth. Um, I underlined, he will presently try the old game again. I double underlined will. For he isn't happy about his sobriety. So you've got to be happy about your sobriety. And if you're not happy, go do something about it. It doesn't mean you're going to walk around happy all the time. But it means that you're grateful that you're sober and that you wouldn't mess with it. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he'll be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. Above imagine, I wrote mental obsession. For me, this was I was six days sober on January 26, 1989. And I this is where I was. I was at the jumping off place. I underlined... Then he will know loneliness such as few do. And I underline that in red. And the loneliness and the pain is what really gets me. I underline he will be at the jumping off place. I underline in red he will wish for the end. And in big letters I wrote next to that suicide. This is all referring back to the doctor's opinion about the, about the mental obsession and the restless, irritable, and discontent. That's what happens. We get itchy. We can't even sit in our own skin. We have shown how we, I underline the word we, got out from under. You say, yes, I'm willing, but am I to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum like some righteous people I see? I know I must get along without liquor, but how can I? Have you a sufficient substitute? So it says, yes, there is a substitute, and it is vastly more than that. It is a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. There you will find, and this is what I'm going to find. I wrote on the side, the program of AA. So I have only found this. Um, from the people who are working the program, not the people that attend meetings. Yes, there is a substitute, and it is vastly more than that. It is a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. There you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. I underline, your imagination will be fired. And then I underline, life will take on something at last. And then I underline, the most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. And I wrote on the side next to those underlined parts, assuming you are doing 10, 11, and 12. So none of those things, none of those promises are going to come true unless I'm doing the work. Assuming you are doing 10, 11, and 12. How is it that to come about, you ask, where am I to find these people? And I wrote next to that, find someone to take through the steps. Find someone to take through the steps. How is it that um, so you are going to meet these new friends in your own community? And I wrote um, on the side, Alcoholic 101. So that the book is talking to the reader and they're saying, this is how we are the first 100. Now we're talking to you. Now we need to talk to you about how you're going to go out to the next one. If you live, I'm oh, sorry, near you, alcoholics, I underline in red, are dying helplessly like people in a sinking ship. I wrote next to that in AA. They're dying in AA on the chairs of Alcoholics Anonymous. If you live in a large place, there are hundreds, high and low, rich and poor. These are future fellows of Alcoholics Anonymous. Among them, you will make lifelong friends. And that's a promise. What I'd like to underline here is among them, not all of them. Within them, you're going to have lifelong friends. I have a lot of great friends in the program because of this. I think my two closest friends in the entire world are from AA. It says, high and low, rich and poor, these are future fellows of Alcoholics Anonymous. Among them, you will make lifelong friends. I underlined, you will be bound to them with new and wonderful ties. Next to bound to them, or on the side, I wrote, through the steps. So the steps is what helps me bind, because that, that we have a common solution. 
for you will escape disaster together and you will, I underline on the top of 153, commence, which means to begin shoulder to shoulder your common journey. And I wrote above that sponsor is an equal in AA. Sponsor is an equal in AA. And then I wrote page 100. That's the reminder that we get to walk shoulder to shoulder. Then you will know what it means to give of yourself that other may survive and rediscover life. You will learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. It may seem incredible that I underlined these men are to become happy, respected, and useful once more. And above that part you underlined, I wrote through the 12 steps. How can they arise out of such misery, bad repute, and hopelessness? I underlined the rest of the paragraph. The practical answer is that, that since these things have happened among us, they can happen with you. And I wrote on the top of that part, Dr. Bob and Bill D. related. Not like they were cousins. Like they were able to relate to each other and that's how they moved forward. I underlined, should you wish them above all else and be willing to make use of our experience, we are sure they will come. And I would bracket that part you underlined or highlight it a different color because this is a, another spiritual contract. The contract is to wish them above all else Make use of the first 180's experience, and then they will come. That's the promise, not the other way around. The age of miracles is still with us. I underline our own recovery proves that. Never next to that 12 steps. Our hope is that when this chip of a book is launched on the world tide of alcoholism, defeated drinkers will seize upon it to follow its suggestions. Many, we are sure, will rise to their feet and march on. They will approach still other sick ones. And I wrote next to that 12-step work. And in and fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous may spring up in each city and hamlet, havens for those who must find, I underline, a way out. And I wrote on the side, mental obsession. That's what we needed the way out from. I believe at one point in the history of AA, there's a thing going around, whether it's true or not, that said that, that said that, um, sorry, one second, they will approach other sick ones. Yeah, um, I know what I was going to say. I got lost. Um, that the book was originally going to be called A Way Out. And they end up calling it Alcoholics Anonymous because it was a title of their own group. But I love that idea because that's really what we offer. I sometimes picture myself in these, if you've ever been to Niagara Falls and you visited behind the water, in order to get there, first of all, you go in these dark caves and it's cold and misty and it's really un- it's un- un- uncomfortable. I picture these dark caves where I find these girls because I know how to walk those paths and I have a lantern. I have an oil lantern. And as long as I keep my oil burning from doing my work, it'll stay light and I can show them how to get out. But I can't do that if I don't keep my oil burning. In the chapter, I underline working with others, and that's chapter seven. You gathered an idea, I underline, of how we approach and aid others to help. And that, again, is a 12 step. I wrote, we are charged with this obligation. We are charged with this obligation. And it is an obligation. It's not a suggestion. It's what we're supposed to do. Suppose now that I underline through you, so by me passing this on, several families have adopted this, I circled, way of life. Because it's not like a diet or a program that you do once. It's a way of living. You will want to know more of how to proceed from that point. Perhaps the best way of treating you to a glimpse of your future will be to describe the growth of the fellowship among us. Here's a brief account. And so I bracketed the bottom and I wrote Bill and Bob what they did. 
So this is how it all started. They're going to go over the... Because remember, we read about how it all started, but we read it like 160-some pages ago because of the forewords. Years ago in 1935, one of our, our number made a journey to a certain western city. They're talking about Cleveland. From a business standpoint, his trip came off badly. And I wrote on the bottom, build support structure while each is living 10, 11, and 12. We want to build our support structure with other like-minded people that are working the steps while we're living 10, 11, and 12. Had he been successful in his enterprise, he would have been set on his feet financially, I underlined, which at the time seemed vitally important. I wrote on the side, Bill was five and a half months sober. So at five and a half months sober, he's freaking out and stressing about making money in this business profit. But at the time, he didn't. He didn't make the money and he had to stay put in Cleveland, which gave him the opportunity to start Alcoholics Anonymous with Dr. Bob and to help other people. But I love this reminder that at the time, something can seem vitally important. But his venture wound up in a lawsuit and bogged down completely. The proceeding was shot through with much hard feeling and controversy. I underlined bitterly discouraged, so that's how Bill felt. He found himself in a underlined strange place. I underlined discredited and almost broke. So now he's six months sober. Still physically weak, and I underlined sober for a few months. I underlined, he saw that his predicament was dangerous, and then I underlined the last sentence. He wanted so much to talk with someone, but whom? I wrote on the side, he knows he needs this. He knows he needs to help somebody. Above the next paragraph, I wrote Akron, Ohio, Mayflower Hotel. So this is the first meeting of Bill and Bob. Well, it's about to be. It's about to set up the first meeting. One dismal afternoon, he paced the hotel lobby, wondering how his bill was to be paid. At one end of the room stood a glass-covered directory of local churches. Down the lobby, a door opened into an attractive bar. He could see the gay crowd inside. I underlined the rest of the paragraph. In there, he would drink. He would find companionship and release. Unless he took some drinks, he might not have the courage to scrape an acquaintance and would have a lonely weekend. I wrote next to that, believe the lie. And this is the mental obsession, slowly, slowly talking to him. The lie ends up becoming all-consuming, and it's the only thing we can think of. Of course he couldn't drink, but why not sit hopefully at a table, a bottle of ginger ale before him? After all, had he not been sober six months now? I underlined, perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks, no more. And I wrote next to that mental obsession. So the mental obsession is bargaining with the drinker. Fear gripped him. He was on thin ice. Again, it was the old, I underlined, insidious insanity. And I wrote above that or on the side, the thought or the lie that keeps coming back. That first drink. With a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory. Music and gay chatter still floated to him for, by the bar. But what about his, I underlined, like I bracketed the bottom paragraph and I wrote on the, on the top of it, change of mind, spiritual experience. Change of mind, spiritual experience. But what about his responsibilities, his family and the men who would die because they would not know how to get well? Ah, yes, those other alcoholics. I underlined, there must be many such in this town. And I wrote above that, thinking about others, which is not normal for Bill. Thinking about others. He would phone a clergyman, and at the bottom I wrote, turned attention toward 12-step, pulled him out of mental obsession. Turn attention toward 12-step, pulled him out of his mental obsession. 
I underlined his sanity return and he thanked God. Selecting a church at random from the directory, he stepped into the booth and lifted the receiver. His call to the clergyman led him presently to a certain resident of the town, who, though formerly and ably respected, was then, I underlined, nearing the nadir of alcoholic despair. It It was the usual situation. Home in jeopardy, wife ill, children distracted, bills in arrears, and standing standing damaged. I underline the rest of the paragraph. He had a desperate desire to stop, but saw no way out. That was me. I couldn't see it. For he had earnestly tried many avenues of escape. Painfully aware of being somehow abnormal, the man did not fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic. So I wrote on the side, Dr. Bob and Bill talked about their problem. They talk about it to the next alcoholic, and Bill talks about it to Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob wasn't used to people talking about their problem. He was used to people talking about his problem. When our friend related his experience, the man agreed that, I underlined, no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. Above that, I wrote mental obsession. And then I also wrote physical allergy because it's two-parted. I underlined, a spiritual experience he conceded was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high. I wrote next to that, always a price to be paid. Always a price to be paid. So whether I'm dealing with someone who wants to get better or someone who doesn't, I still have to pay a price because we still need to show up and do the work, and that's going to mean we're missing other parts of our life. And if they end up drinking, the price that they're going to pay is losing all trust and all the groundwork that they put down. He had, of course, he had, of course, I underlined the familiar alcoholic obsession, and above that I wrote, in his mind, that few knew of his drinking. Why, he argued, was he lose the remainder of his business only to bring still more suffering to his family by foolishly admitting this plight to help this, his plight to people from whom he had made his livelihood. He would do, I underline, anything he said but that. And I wrote on the side, not entirely willing. So when you start to choose, I don't want to do that, but I'll do that. But no way, don't give me that. That's how you know we're, like, we're in trouble. We are going to stop right here on the bottom of 155. Thank you so much for your patience with a little bit of my blurbs today. And I hope you have an amazing week. It's up to you.